Welcome to the Changelog episode 0.5.7. I'm Adam Stachowiak. And I'm Wynn Netherland. This is the Changelog. We cover what's fresh and new and open source. If you found us on iTunes, we're also on the web at thechangelog.com. We're also up on GitHub. Head to github.com slash explore. You'll find some trending repos, some feature repos from the blog, as well as our audio podcasts. If you're on Twitter, follow Changelog Show and me, Adam Stack. And I'm Penguin, P-E-N-G-W-Y-N-N. This episode is sponsored by GitHub Jobs. Head to thechangelog.com slash jobs to get started. If you'd like us to feature your job on this show, select Advertise on the Changelog when posting your job, and we'll take care of the rest. Big Bang Technology is looking for a desktop class web application design engineer. And for those that don't know, desktop class web applications are web apps that feel like they belong on the iPad. If you know how to write a fairly large, complex SQL query, check your code into Git. Have a few open source projects and understand the value of social coding on GitHub. You're a perfect fit for Big Bang Technology. You have an awesome compensation package. And if you're in Toronto, Ontario, looking for a full-time gig, check out lg.gd slash AA because they're probably looking for you and you're probably looking for them. Next up is ELC Technologies. They have a full-time position in Portland, Oregon. Telecommuting is also an available option. They're looking for Ruby and Ruby on Rails devs with strong problem-solving skills. At least one year experience in building web apps. So if you're proficient with Ruby, Rails, or mobile development and you know what the cloud is, maybe even have an understanding of what uh, something should be put into an API and how to leverage existing ones to make your life easier, check out lg.gd slash ab for more details. Fun episode this week. Talk to the guys over at Append2 about Amplify.js, their new JavaScript framework um, that kind of complements jQuery. Has no hard and fast jQuery requirements anymore, but... Uh, Kind of a slimmed down version of Backbone, perhaps in certain respects, but it uh, does look pretty cool. I'm going to check it out. That sounds exciting. Speaking of exciting, we uh, just got back from Red Dirt RubyConf. Great uh, week up there in Oklahoma City. I did it live on, uh, I guess, Thursday over the interwebs, if a few of you caught that. We'll be posting that audio in a couple of future episodes with um, Nick Caranto from Jump Cutter and Wesley Berry from Fog. I'm, uh, I missed that show, but I heard it was really awesome. It is cool. It was uh, such a cool venue up there. If you ever have a chance to, to get up to Oklahoma City to go to anything that uh, Derek Parkhurst and those guys put together, it was really good. James Edward Gray II was a uh, great host, and we just had fun talking with Dr. Nick and uh, Aaron Patterson and a lot of Ruby folk up there, but uh, a lot of JavaScript at this conference, too, so uh, kind of right up our alley for the changelog. I thought it was a Ruby conference. I know Dr. Nick um, pretty much uh, lambasted us there in, in his keynote uh, talking about uh, why we're having so much JavaScript at a Ruby conference, but uh, it, was, it was fun times to be had for sure. Good stuff. Speaking of, should we get to it? Let's do it. We're chatting today with Mike Hostetler and Scott Gonzalez from Append2. Uh, to talk about Amplify.js. But before we begin, Mike, why don't you introduce yourself, your role at Append2, uh, and then we'll let you introduce yourself, Scott. My name is Mike Hostetler. I'm the founder and CEO of Append2. Uh, we're the company dedicated to jQuery and supporting the jQuery community through a variety of business services. We currently focus on training, uh, development, and support. So we offer on-site and remote training to companies that are interested in sort of uh, improving their skills with jQuery. With our development, we do a number of architecture reviews and performance reviews and Kickstarter projects. 
So we'll uh, participate on a team and help get that team up to speed uh, with either putting together the architecture of a project uh, through a prototype and then handing it over to the team to finish out. But it's we really focus on some uh, cutting edge and pushing the boundaries of what you can do with jQuery. And then we also offer uh, corporate support contracts to those who are interested in, in just getting that extra uh they know who they can call. So that's what we do. Scott? Uh, I'm Scott Gonzalez. I am an architect at append to, and I'm uh, one of the development leads for jQuery UI. And I spend almost all of my time at append to uh, working on open source projects, so working on jQuery UI and working on Amplify, um, working on some smaller projects that we have, and uh, occasionally working on client projects. We'll jump into jQuery and jQuery UI, I'm sure, in a moment. But what's the elevator pitch for Amplify? Uh, so Amplify is a set of components for solving common web application problems. Um, so basically, as we work on client projects that append to, if we run into a problem um, over and over, we, you know, we recognize that there's something consistent here, and we try and find a solution that works elegantly across all of our projects. Um, so that's that's the goal for Amplify is to just solve the problems that we're commonly hitting. Um, so it's it's nothing like you know solving some niche problem or you know trying to be really really clever about a solution. We, we try and make something as simple as we can to solve you know some kind of common problem that we're facing and probably many other people are facing. So let's talk specifics for a moment. I'm looking at the documentation site. See requests, store, and PubSub. What what's this all about? Uh, so request um, separates out making a request and actually so so asking for data from a request and actually making that request like actually going and getting the data um, and the reason that's important to us is because we're frequently working with companies where we're writing all the client side code and they're writing all the server side code um, so <clears throat> when we have to integrate with the the server side code you know for calling into a service. Um, that service may or may not be built yet, right? And so we want to separate out the the fact that we want to call into the service and how we actually call into the service. So, you know, if, if we say, you know, we need to get a list of movies, um, we don't really care, as the person asking for the movies, how we got that list of movies. Um, so we, we separate out the actual request from... Um, the actual implementation of the request. And that way, if the server-side implementation changes or if we want to mock out the implementation because the server-side code's not written yet, the, the front-end code doesn't actually change, right? Like the code that says, go give me a list of movies and I'll handle that list when it comes back to me um, stays the same regardless of how many times we change the implementation of how do we actually get those movies. Um, so that's that's the main thing that request does. It also handles things like um, if the services return data wrapped in some kind of envelope, you know, so it says the status was successful or error, um, the the request object can decode that and return just the actual data, and it can also determine that even though it was you know an HTTP 200, that it was actually an error. Um, which lots of services do. Pretty much all the popular services always return a status code of 200, and then they tell you some other way that there was an error. 
So um, with amplify.request, you can actually say, you know, here's my success callback, here's my error callback, and then here's a function that decodes it. But as the person asking for the data, you're not specifying how it gets decoded. As the person implementing how that request works, you define that the way that it gets decoded. So again, like it's, it's abstracting away all the details for you. Um, so I see on um, the options that you can pass into this thing so that XHR, the XHR object, the XML HTTP request object, can be specified. So does this mean that you're decoupled from jQuery's transport and can use any transport you want? Uh, yeah, so when you define a request, um, you define the type of request. So AJAX requests are just one type of request that we support. Uh, we don't have built-in support for anything else yet. We do want to have AJAX polling and something to normalize across different types of streaming data. So like WebSockets, um, you know, and then if WebSockets are not available, maybe you fall back to AJAX polling. But the API that's exposed to you as the, the user of that request looks exactly the same. Um, you can also do requests that are just functions, but the API is exactly the same for the person making the request, regardless of you know, the fact that the request is just a function or it's an AJAX request. Um, so you know, we're, we're really trying to just completely separate the fact from I'm making a request for data and this request for data is handled in a specific way because uh, we, we want to have the flexibility to change how that part's implemented and not have to ever worry about going back and changing something else. So in the same way that request abstracts you know, transport and decoding uh, network requests, I assume store uh, abstracts the same thing for local storage and different mechanisms for persisting data? Uh, yeah, so store is a layer on top of any synchronous web storage system, any synchronous persistent web storage system. So that's basically what local storage is, um, but older browsers don't have local storage. So, you know, in older versions of Firefox, you have global storage. In older versions of IE, you have user data. Um, so it handles all of that. It figures out what's actually available, and it just uses that. And it also adds in expiration, um, which none of these systems have. So you can store something in local storage and say this is only valid for, you know, 10 seconds. And then if you try and get that data, it'll be there with, for 10 seconds. But if you try it, you know, 11 seconds later, it'll be gone. Um, so that's, that's a nice feature that it adds. And then uh, the main thing it does is just abstracts away the fact that, you know, there are differences in how browsers implement persistent storage. There's also support for session storage, though it never defaults to that. Um, so you can specify which storage system you want to use. Uh, generally, that's really only useful right now for session storage. You know, if you explicitly want to use global storage, you can do that, but uh, that would be a strange thing to do since it only works in you know specific browsers, and if you needed to use that because local storage didn't exist, it would already default to that anyway. Um, but you do have the ability to specify which storage you want, and you can also change the default storage system. So by default, it figures out, you know, what's the best available system? I'm going to use that. But you can change uh, which one it defaults to if you just go through amplify.store. And then you can also add additional storage systems if you want. 
So the latest big piece or the last big piece is uh, PubSub. So for the developer that maybe their eyes gloss over when they see live and delegate and uh, add event listener and now PubSub with uh, subscriptions, what's the use case and benefit of a PubSub architecture, especially on the, the client end? Um, the, the thing that you normally hear people talk about is performance um, and how PubSub is more performant than events. Uh, that's not the reason that we built a PubSub system. We, we haven't actually run into performance issues. We generally end up using custom events um, in jQuery to do our communication, but with the request module, uh, we wanted to publish messages similar to jQuery's AJAX events, right? So like before and after events, um, so that you can hook into that and do things like, you know, a loading indicator during a request. Um, but in order to do that, we were going to publish custom events. But then we got into a debate about should we publish custom events on the document? Should we publish custom events on an object? If we're going to do it on an object, should we publish them directly on the Amplify object? And we knew from experience that a, a lot of users get confused when you use jQuery to wrap objects instead of DOM elements. Um, and then they get even more confused when you're triggering events on objects. So we decided that building a PubSub system would be easier for most people to understand exactly what's happening. Um, and so that's the main reason that we decided to build a PubSub system. Then the reason we decided to build one sort of just take an existing one is because we wanted to um, keep it as small as possible while adding features that we would like to have in events, like the ability to specify an order when you're binding an event, right? So it's, it's not too uncommon that you bind an event and you say, I really wish I could get this to be the first event handler that runs. But there's no clean way to do that with events. Um, so with the PubSub system and Amplify, we added a priority option when you had a subscription. So when you subscribe to a message, you can say, you know, I want to have a priority of one. And the lower your priority, the higher in the, the run order you are. So the subscriptions default to a priority of 10. So if you go to a priority of 11, you'll run after anything that's bound without specifying a priority. And if you specify a priority of nine, you'll run everything that you'll run before any other handler that runs without a priority. Um, so we did that so we could build the caching layers for Amplify Request and make sure that they run at the very beginning. So up front it says uh, Amplify is a jQuery component library. What actual dependencies are on jQuery? Uh, so when we started building it, we said, um, you know, we use jQuery on every project. A lot of people use jQuery on their projects. We'll just have jQuery as a dependency since we always have it available anyway. Um, that, lets, that lets us do things like not have to worry about, you know, utility methods like .each or .extend or, you know, is function. Um, so we started with that. And for the most part, outside of AJAX requests in the request module, um, that's really all we used it for. And the decision, again, was only because it's always available to us. Why write small utilities like that again? Um, after we released the alpha uh, we got some feedback from a bunch of people saying, you know, this stuff looks really cool, but I don't like the fact that there's a jQuery dependency. So 
because we were only using it for simple things, we decided to take you know the tiny file size hit and remove the jQuery dependency for everything except Ajax requests. So the PubSub system and Amplify Store both have no dependencies now. Um, so Store doesn't even depend on Amplify Core, which only contains PubSub. And then Request depends on Amplify Core for the PubSub. And then if you want to use the Ajax request, it depends on jQuery as well. And we support jQuery 1.4 and higher. The reason I ask is, you know, Append2 is kind of positioning itself as, you know, a company that supports uh, the jQuery community. So, Mike, what's it mean to to develop in shops that have such a heavy jQuery dependency? Are you finding that you're educating people on jQuery or as just as much educating them in JavaScript? We found ourselves doing a little bit of both. Uh, oftentimes when we get invited into a company to train their staff on jQuery or to do a, a, a jQuery-based architecture review, they will have adopted jQuery and know that they want to kind of go down this path of building something with the front end, but they often confuse JavaScript with jQuery. So we start by trying to give them a firm foundation in the JavaScript language. Uh, a lot of our training is geared that way. I mean, there's we even have training courses that just talk over the basic HTTP interaction. You know, what happens in a browser? What is strict mode? What is ES? What is ECMAScript? You know, they uh, they aren't aware of all that. So we build off of that and then get them up to the place where they can be productive because it's the the thing that they're most interested in us helping them with is the ability to become productive as fast as possible. So um, we we do uh, focus on jQuery, um, but we are, are when we get those opportunities, we do as much as we can to help them round out their entire front end knowledge, including JavaScript, HTML5, you know, all the latest stuff. Um, while getting them productive and helping their team develop really good quality code uh, in a short amount of time. So I'm looking at, at Amplify, and it's a really lightweight framework um, meant to complement um, you know, jQuery, which is a much larger framework. But I'm not sure if you guys have seen, the, uh, I guess, the debate in the last couple of days between uh, Yehuda Katz and Thomas Fuchs from... Uh, Sprout Core and uh, Prototype and now Zepto fame, respectively. Talking about these big monolithic frameworks, um, which I guess Sprout would be more in that category, Sprout Core, Cappuccino, things of that sort, and these smaller frameworks like Zepto um, and then now Ender that kind of stitches together smaller frameworks. Um, what's your take on the, I guess, that spectrum of monolithic versus surgical? Um so <laughs> I had this debate with a few people. I I think it's really just, you know, do you buy into the Linux model or not? Right? You you've got these people following the Linux model where you've got a tool that solves a problem and it solves it well. Um and if you need to solve larger problems that contain many small problems, you get many small programs together and you glue them together however you need to. Um uh, there's definitely a place for that and there's a place for you know, I've got a framework that tells me exactly how to glue those things together, and it's already glued them together for me. Um, I don't think 
one is right or wrong. You know, it really depends on what you're trying to do, who's on your team. Um, so we tend to take the approach of, you know, take the little, little tools that solve specific problems and use them however you see fit. Um, but that, you know, that doesn't mean that that's better or worse for any specific, well, just in general. For, for a specific project, it may be the, the right or wrong choice. Um, but that's, that's generally how we solve problems. So. so how much of Amplify has been extracted out of real-world working code? Uh, well, it's all based on real-world working code, and you know, then we go and use it in our project. So like I said, we, we encounter a problem in a project, and we solve the problem in that project. If we encounter the problem in another project, um, we, we may or may not take the existing solution from the other project, right? So there's uh, one thing we don't want to do is solve a problem once and decide that that's how we're always going to solve it. And so um, the, the, the idea behind Amplify has existed for a long time. Uh, the actual code that we're shipping has not existed for as long as, you know, we've been solving these problems. Um, we've solved the problems over and over, and we, we, we go back and we look and we say, you know, this is how we solved it in this application. Why did we solve it differently in a different application? And we want to find something that, that works cleanly in both applications, right? So you, if you're designing something for a specific application, you may not build the most um, useful general purpose tool. So if you build something that's just the most uh, useful general purpose tool, it may not solve specific problems the best way. Um, so, you know, we've been trying to take a careful balance about that, and that's why we're not solving large problems. We're finding specific problems that occur everywhere and trying to solve those as best we can. So that way we can drop them into the applications, right? And so that's why we're, we're not in that build one monolithic framework mindset. Because once you do that, we, we feel that you generally end up, uh, you may solve all your problems, but you may not solve them the way that you like to solve them the best. I would completely agree with that. And that's, uh, that really underscores the uh, approach we've taken. We've, in building our own projects, have seen that there's really a lot out there to solve the problems we need to solve. But... Um, it's, it's a matter of kind of piecing it together and focusing in on how to solve it the best and amplify as an attempt to fill in a few holes, um, a little bit. There's, you know, there's a lot of other problems, but we wanted to focus and do something really, really well. And from the other side, I, and the kind of this debate going on, I completely understand the argument for a, a large monolithic, monolithic framework really kind of from a marketing and branding perspective. Um, the In my discussions, and we've uh, gone in and talked with clients, there's a comfort level in adopting uh, just one name with one version number. And we completely understand that, but we kind of hold to our technical approach. So uh, we're currently uh, talking internally about ways that we could uh, help companies solve that because they've 
they're starting to realize that there's more to the JavaScript world than just jQuery itself. And they're looking for solutions uh, for, you know, packaging and pulling in other things besides jQuery. So it's something we're, we're very interested in and um, uh, working on. So, What's the breakdown of companies that you support or that you uh, consult with as far as their back-end stacks? How much of them are Microsoft and versus uh, Python or Ruby or other frameworks? You know, the, the majority of it has been more of the enterprise, Java and Microsoft. Uh, a lot of the open source hackers run on either Ruby or Python, PHP. Uh, there's a little bit of that, but not as much. Um, part of that, I think, is due to just the, the way they approach development. And uh, in our uh, kind of work, we've noticed that a lot of back-end developers approach the front-end from a back-end perspective. And we've, as a company, uh, made the decision when we found it to approach it from a front-end perspective and to really try to uh, shed new light on the way that we were solving these problems and building these applications. And the place we've gotten the most traction with that has been in kind of the, the big enterprise world um, where they are trying to build big, exciting things, and they uh, kind of see where it's broken down. We often come in and, and we'll do a review and kind of expose and have a conversation about, you know, uh, you should have done this differently. You know, we can help with that sort of thing. And then we just start there and help them not only learn how to do it better, but um, show them, write some code, guide them. So I would say it's mostly mostly on the enterprise side. So in my former life, I was actually a .NET developer, so I think I can speak with a little experience around what you're saying there around approaching it from a back-end perspective, mm -hmm. the, the page state and the view state. and the, it was They tried to turn the web in the early days of... Uh, ASP.NET turned it into more visual basic form load programming model, which kind of is just um, uh, against, I guess, the the architecture and the nature of the web. Um, even going as far as the early Atlas project kind of ported the CLR light all the way down to JavaScript, right? Um, what have you seen now that they've kind of shifted course and adopted jQuery? Has Microsoft done to really embrace the nature of the web with their backend technologies, so I've uh, I've seen a couple of things. Um, the first thing is is I really uh, am personally impressed. I, I don't come from a Microsoft background um, of how much they're participating in the conversation. Uh, that to me, that conversation is as important as the technology itself because. Um, the community of web developers, and maybe just throw out all the backends. There's, there's really a, a tight community where we all push each other forward, and it's a conversation to make the web better because that's what we're passionate about, and that's, you know, that that makes a huge difference. Uh, secondly, we've seen a lot of really interesting stuff. Uh, coming out of Redmond and just their guidance, their participation in that question and what they're trying to do to, uh, number one, provide the tooling support, 
but provide the guidance um, for all of the people that follow kind of the the .NET backend, the Microsoft way, for how to do it right. And and you know they, they again going back to the conversation, they acknowledge that it, you know it, it's it's a process to find that right solution, but just it's important to have the conversation to take feedback to continue working on it. And we've seen a lot of really cool advances with the Visual Studio platform uh, through like just VS Doc support for IntelliSense. I mean, little things, but they're they're putting effort behind it. Um, the uh, the new Git packaging system where you can now pull down uh, different pieces of jQuery UI. And again, it's, it's a funny fundamental little thing, but we we kind of take for granted the fact that jQuery UI is uh, uh, several different pieces that build up that that kind of uh, that toolkit where so often people pull it down wholesale or a backend um, project will pull it in. It is just jQuery UI. Well, why would you want to do anything else? Well, the, they end up using just an accordion and uh, pushing a lot of extra code to the browser, and that just doesn't work. So, we Damian Edwards um, on the MVC team recently packaged up all of the different jQuery UI components separately into their NuGet packaging system. So, if you want to use an accordion, you just pull down an accordion, and it'll pull down the dependencies correctly and make your page more efficient. It, you know, it's little uh, little things like that show a real commitment to get the details right. Um, and we've been happy to kind of participate with them in that conversation and help out where we can. So you guys are friends also with Nathan Smith, who I affectionately call the 960 guy, but I think he uh, bristles at that now. I'll call him <laughs> JavaScript extraordinaire. Uh, he's got just as much JavaScript as he does as he does CSS. Once he's kind of asking a baited question, he wants me to ask your uh, take on Rails now, including CoffeeScript by default in 3.1. So uh, that's I think is is very interesting. Um, actually, it's funny we're uh, at a conference and yesterday I actually had a asked Douglas Crockford what he thought of CoffeeScript and there was a panel with a couple of the other uh, people who worked on the ES5 spec and just talking through their process of language design and, and what place something like CoffeeScript has in the JavaScript ecosystem. And it was really a fascinating conversation. Uh, and I was actually surprised uh, that they all loved the idea of CoffeeScript and different dialects of JavaScript being built on top of JavaScript. There's obviously a downside of a compile step when you when it comes to tooling and debugging but there's uh, the real win is is getting making that barrier to entry lower and just making a very tight, robust, obvious way to get in and develop with JavaScript. Uh, that is a sort of a gateway drug. I mean, JavaScript. Everybody is consensus has been it's going to become or has become the most ubiquitous programming language out there and. It's now our job as developers to uh, make it easy for people to 
uh, to kind of dip their toes in, but to understand the power of the language because it's it's no longer a scripting language. Um, and JavaScript, uh, we've, we really experienced it. And part of our goal and mission is to just help people ease into it, but to give it the respect it deserves for to help uh, clients and customers understand that this this really is a important language you can do a lot with it and um, you can really uh, just build amazing applications with it so you know um, I think well coffee scripts an, an acquired taste definitely um, and I wouldn't set out writing CoffeeScript if you don't really understand JavaScript going in the same way that I wouldn't want to write SAS without firmly grasping CSS. Mm -hmm. right? But once you do, there's incredible power in just some of the language features that you can do with CoffeeScript. But one of the things that I love about uh, using CoffeeScript is the Cake compiler. I come from a Ruby background, and mm -hmm. so you know it's like rake uh, or make. Uh, except in CoffeeScript. So now I can compile a lot of scripts, even surgically, from a lot of different namespaces across you know, 10 or 12 different files to really keep my uh, concerns separated as I'm coding, but they get compiled down to one JavaScript that I can uh, send down to the mobile device or uh, into the browser, which is really cool. So what are you guys doing as far as package management? If, if you're dealing just with the uh, front-end layer as you consulting these projects and every backend tends to be different. What are folks using maybe in the .NET world or some of the other uh, stacks that you see to package up and compile and serve up the JavaScript uh, in their projects? We haven't done a lot with that, with package management. Um, there's a lot of different aspects to package management. Uh, we've, on the front end, um, you know, a lot of what we end up doing is just including what we need to and using uh, a script loader of some sort. Um, we, we've seen kind of the .NET world embrace NuGet, which is, we really think is a great thing, but that again, that's more of a, a back-end thing. We're uh, very familiar with the CommonJS package spec, and uh, we've embraced that as much as it makes sense. Um, but that's, again, it's not so much front end. So yeah, there's, there's just in what we do in focusing on the front end, we don't end up, uh, running into that problem. That problem does exist with our projects, but we let others solve it because it's very particular to their environment. That's definitely the way to do it. So we've got two long running, uh, drinking games on this show. I'm not sure if you've caught any of the episodes, but every time that we say Hamlin Sass or Node.js, people have to take a drink. So cheer, cheers, audience. <laughs> uh, so I can't talk about JavaScript and not talk about Node. Just it's one of those things that uh, is just taking fire. So given that you guys love JavaScript and you code JavaScript as your primary focus, uh, have you done anything with Node on the back end? So we, um, as yet, have not had a, a client project where we've worked with Node on the back end. We have... Uh, really fallen in love with it um, for some internal tooling. So we've been experimenting there. Um, it's, again, it fits very well into kind of our, our areas of expertise. Uh, we have, amidst, you know, being, uh, having a lot of experience with JavaScript, one of the uh, 
kind of competencies in the company is infrastructure uh, and a background in system administration. Um, I myself and Jonathan uh, worked for quite a while on the jQuery.com infrastructure and scaling that out, all of the things involved there. Um, and we see just great things, uh, great potential for Node on the server side and JavaScript on the server side. And so we're just kind of experimenting. We'll, uh, we'll see where it goes. We don't have any big plans right now. We're just using it where it makes sense. Uh, we've, we'll have little projects that may come out. Uh, we host, we publish a lot of our little projects on code.append2.com. If you'd ever like to look at kind of some of the more experimental things that we're working on. Um, so we're, we don't have any big plans for it. We're again, kind of following our uh, mission of, of partnering with companies who are looking to solve these problems um, and helping them solve it. So we're dipping our toes in and, and we'll see where it goes. So we were chatting earlier um, before we got on the air about some other uh, efforts that you guys have around, I'm not sure if certification is too strong of a word, but um, some training that you guys provide for those that may be uh, coming to JavaScript just from the influx of jQuery in, into the Microsoft world. So what are you guys doing to help uh, foster a knowledge of JavaScript? Sure. So we uh, have our one big initiative right now is the our Learn site. So we, um, in Boston, back last October at the jQuery Boston Conference, committed to training 10,000 web developers and open sourcing our training material. We're on the verge of doing that. Uh, we had, last year, 2010, was a great year. We um, The company was kind of getting off the ground, but we realized that we were falling far short of the need that was out there to really train people well on a lot of uh, either JavaScript or jQuery. And so we realized that we had to kind of think outside the box, and that's what this is. So we've packaged up, and we've we've actually taken our training material, which most of it had existed in Keynote files, and packaged it into um, uh, Markdown using HTML5 slide uh slideshow system. We've done screencasts. We've kind of put together this package of content and then we'll be publishing uh, these lessons onto a website and the lessons will be organized into courses where you can go through like a, a JavaScript or a jQuery 101 course. And then once, you're, once you've completed that course, uh, then students would have the opportunity to mark that they've completed that course. Um, and uh, they'll be uh, given a transcript. Now, I mean, that's kind of the first version of it. We've got some other ideas that are baking about how to make that a little bit more authentic because you could just go market. Oh, sure, I know this. But it's a start. Again, we're kind of agile in the way we release things. And um, But with the really the goal is that we uh, we want to help people learn this content the right way. And um, we've put a lot of time and effort into making sure that the quality of the content is the best. Um, and we're really committed to that. And so the, the actual content itself will be on GitHub. Uh, we'll, you know, be able to take pull requests, uh, and participate in, in 
allowing the community a path to help us improve. Um, but in, in addition to give students a way that they know kind of what they're getting. And um, it's we're really excited about it. Well, that'll be released uh, soon. So. so one last question. Since you deal with so many um, Microsoft clients and, and probably have a closer relationship with Microsoft through their jQuery adoption, um, what's the state of open source in the Microsoft world? I mean, you guys are focused on open source. There's code.appendu.com where you've got some open source projects out there. jQuery itself is open source. Uh, where is the vibrant community of .NET open source? Um, that's a hard question to answer. I'm not quite sure how to answer that question. I, I'm, uh, I think the, the concept of open source in Microsoft is gaining speed. Um, there's, uh, really in, in kind of the web technologies, uh, it's, it's really getting some traction. I wouldn't know quite where to say the, the focus of it is or, or where to go look, but, um, it's uh, it's definitely gaining some traction and and they I would say that the biggest thing I've realized with working with Microsoft is that organizationally they're beginning to uh, well the people that we've worked with are 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 great they're um, I like I said don't come from a Microsoft background and have been thoroughly impressed uh, and Frankly, my perception of the company has completely changed. Um, I mean, I was, you know, right up there with IE6 must die and, and, oh, down with Microsoft. But that's, I would say, I've really, in, in working with them professionally, I have a tremendous respect for everybody that works there. Um, we were hanging out with the IE9 team last night and uh, now IE10 that was announced this week. And it's... They're just, they're very committed to what they do. They're very smart people. And um, it's, it's, it's been just a real pleasure uh, to see Microsoft um, really push open source adoption. And, and then with the jQuery project, they have um, uh, impressively just let jQuery lead the effort uh, because they, they trust in the process uh, is kind of my perception of it. And that's that's really impressive to me. I think the moment I realized that is we were on a call through the jQuery project with um, uh, one of the Microsoft lawyers to just we were talking about some uh, copyright issues, um, and it, the conversation uh, was just they were you know very um, very open, and it was just it was impressive. My perception of the company entirely changed during that conversation. So I, I would say there's a really exciting future for Microsoft and open source. Um, we're doing what we can to help participate in that conversation. And uh, I think that's, that's really what I would ask all the other web developers to do is just to really participate in the conversation. They're committed to getting it right. And, um, yeah, it's exciting to have another, uh, have all of that extra effort kind of in the community. So, well, I know you guys are traveling, um, out West 
hitting some conferences um, as we speak, so it's hard to catch up with you guys. But where can folks that want to learn more about append to catch up with you in person? So uh, we'll be at the jQuery conference this weekend in Mountain View. Um, past that, we uh, are planning to hit Big Omaha in May and then have a couple of other conferences. Uh, we'll be just doing various events. Uh, we can follow us uh, at append2.com, and there's links to the team's Twitter pages. Um, a lot goes out on Twitter, and, and we have a list of kind of what events we'll be at. Um, so I would say definitely go look at append2.com. Great. Well, thanks for taking the time uh, to join us today. We'll look forward to seeing what uh, becomes of Amplify. Thanks so much.